It's February 1st. I'm Brian Dean Wright, former CIA operations officer, and this is The Wright Report. Hey, good day to you, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to The Wright Report, your daily news podcast. I've got four briefs for you this morning that are shaping America and the world. First up, some fresh polling on who is leading in the swing states this morning for the upcoming U.S. presidential election. Second, the state of Michigan is scrambling to save a nuclear power plant, and we are going to talk about why that is important no matter where you might live. Third, Europe is very afraid of one man this morning, and it's not Vladimir Putin. I'll tell you who it is and why it might just be a good thing. Fourth, the president of Mexico took millions of dollars in bribes from a drug cartel. That is the allegation anyway. I'm going to give you the details and what we might do about it. But first, let's get to that top story of the morning. A big poll came out yesterday about the 2024 election. The folks at Bloomberg News and Morning Consult asked about 5,000 voters in America's swing states what they think are the most important issues facing the country and whether Trump or Biden is the best guy to tackle them. And what is really important about this poll and why I'm bringing it to you is the size and the diversity of the respondents. The 5,000 voters gives you a really good sample and a fairly accurate look at what voters like you really think. So let's dive into it, focusing first on the state of our union this morning. The most pressing issue for most voters in these swing states like Arizona, Georgia, and Pennsylvania, it's the economy. In second place is the issue of immigration, which, by the way, is up substantially since the poll was last taken. In third place, well, was the issue of democracy, which we will unpack in just a second. But regarding that top issue or concern of the economy, it is Donald Trump who wins hands down. 51% said that they trusted Trump to handle the U.S. economy, while just 33% said Joe Biden. That similar spread was also true on the issue of immigration. Trump got 52% while Biden got 30. Overall, when the swing state voters were asked if the country or their state was heading in the right or wrong direction, a majority said in the wrong direction. Upwards of 70% of folks said that. And that matches other polling that we have that show Americans believe that the American dream is dead. And that pessimism is why we have these next numbers Trump is winning in the state of North Carolina by 10 points. In Georgia and Nevada, he is up by eight points. Michigan and Wisconsin, he is up by five. And Pennsylvania and in Arizona, Trump is up by three. That data, by the way, largely matched a New York Times poll out just a couple of months ago, showing that Trump is beating Biden in all swing states, except for Wisconsin. The Times poll showed that that race was a lot tighter. But nevertheless, The state of our union this morning remains one that is ready for change, which in this case is good news for Mr. Trump, but very bad news for Mr. Biden. One other thing to tell you about, the folks at Bloomberg and Morning Consult found that if Mr. Trump were found guilty of a crime, 53% of voters would not support him in a general election. All right, well, what are the implications of that? Well, let's dive into it, pivoting now from facts and data to my analysis and opinion. So stepping back for a moment, what is very clear is that Joe Biden is in serious political trouble this morning, and that is true on an overwhelming number of issues. In fact, if you dig a lot deeper into the numbers, and I did, geeked out, very fun. The point is, 
People blame Mr. Biden for, well, doing a lot of things wrong, including on the issues of inflation, housing, crime, infrastructure, fentanyl, China, Ukraine, Russia. Anyway, you get the point. Pretty much everything. Now, that said, Mr. Biden and Trump are a lot closer on a few other issues. Those include health care, abortion, democracy, where Mr. Biden is up by one point. And that's interesting because I should tell you that Bloomberg doesn't define exactly what democracy means. But I think that we can guess that it might include things like the January 6th riots, deep state allegations, the Biden family corruption or what Democrats call the big lie. That is, of course, electoral integrity, that kind of stuff. But nevertheless, on this issue of democracy, it's a wash. Biden has just a one percent advantage at 41 percent to 40 percent. And to me, that's pretty incredible. And, And here's why. For many months now, Mr. Biden has been saying things like what he said recently at Valley Forge just a couple of weeks ago. And here it is, quote, today, we are here to answer the most important of questions. Is democracy still America's sacred cause? Because that is what the 2024 election is all about, end quote. And to be clear, Biden was claiming that Trump was and is an insurrectionist and that we almost lost the republic on Mr. Trump's watch. And we will again, for sure, if Trump wins next fall. But what's clear is that Americans just aren't buying this argument, or to be more accurate, is it's split right along partisan lines. So also bad for the White House this morning is this. Their other central argument is about Bidenomics. As listeners know, Bidenomics is the campaign's tagline that is supposed to mean that things are going great, at least economically, under Mr. Biden. But that's not true, at least according to this and virtually all other polling. Y'all just don't buy it. So that means that, yes, Biden is in serious political trouble with only one possible way out. 53% of voters say that they will not vote for Trump if he is found guilty of a crime. And as of this morning, that is Mr. Biden's only narrow path to victory. And that is why in reading these things, he and his fellow Democrats have got to make one of the various criminal cases against Mr. Trump stick. The first case is the one down in Georgia regarding the allegations of Mr. Trump's unlawfully conspiring to change the election results in that state back in 2020. But that case down in Georgia is collapsing which, uh, by the way, has been acknowledged by Democrat newspapers like the Washington Post. So that leaves one big case left, the most consequential of all, really. And it's led by a prosecutor named Jack Smith. And his argument is that Trump's speeches or his actions on January 6th, that led to the obstruction or impeding of the final certification of the 2020 election results in Congress on that January day. Well, critics of Mr. Jack Smith say that his entire case is just a bunch of hogwash. But Mr. Smith and Democrats, they disagree. And they say, well, I'm saying that they've got to win this case. And there's another related one. But the point is, this big one, they've got to win it and very soon. In fact, that is why Mr. Smith recently tried to rush his case to the Supreme Court. He did that back in December. But the Supreme Court smacked him down. They told him to go back through the normal processes first. So that case, which is getting pretty nasty and dirty this morning, by the way, it will instead move through the slower appeals process before at some point 
it will almost certainly end up again in front of the Supreme Court. And that's when a really big set of decisions comes before us, ladies and gentlemen. What will the ruling likely be? And will it come before the November election? Well, Mr. Biden and Democrats are banking on a guilty victory by probably September or October at the latest because they only win with Trump in prison. And that's why this case is so daggone important. And we are going to talk about it in the weeks and months to come. Looking for some tea leaves about the likely results. More soon. With that, we turn to our second report of the morning. And we turn to one of those swing states that we just talked about, but not for presidential politics. Rather, it is the fight over whether the state of Michigan will have electricity and ultimately whether you and your state will as well. So let's talk about some quick history. Back in May of 2022, the company that has operated what is called the Palisades Nuclear Power Plant in Van Buren County, Michigan, they announced that they were going to shut down their facility that they had run after 50 years of operation. It was getting too expensive to maintain and operate, apparently. But that was a problem because Michigan is like many states in this union who are trying to adopt so-called green energy climate solutions. And that meant that Michigan was shutting down their coal or natural gas power plants, but not replacing them fast enough with anything else. Plus, the solar and the wind projects that they were installing, they weren't coming online, either fast enough or with the same amounts of energy. And that's because, as ever, the panels and the wind turbines don't always harvest energy like when the sun is out or not, or the wind is blowing or not. Although, actually, in Michigan, I think the wind always blows. But anyway, this rapid retiring of Michigan's coal plants and natural gas plants without any new real production... That recently uh, led to a grid reliability organization called NERC to warn of a very high risk of electricity shortages, especially in states like Michigan, but really all the way from Michigan down to Louisiana. They issued that warning, folks, back in December. And that is why Michigan has been scrambling over the past six to 12 months to save this nuclear power plant in Van Buren County. But boy, there was one big problem. The company that bought this plant said that they would need $1.5 billion in a loan guarantee to keep it running. Well, that takes us to the news. The White House has agreed to help save this nuclear power plant and keep the lights on and factories running in the state of Michigan. This comes after a local utility agreed to buy this energy starting in the year 2025. But the real big headline here is that this power plant is getting the $1.5 billion that they need. As you would expect, environmental groups are outraged by this decision. The Sierra Club, Wildlife Conservancy, and others say that this nuclear power plant needs to be forever retired, along with all nuclear power plants. And instead, the state and other states needs to use only solar and wind. Well, nevertheless, the White House and state leaders disagree. And for now, it appears as though this nuclear power plant will be saved. So those are the latest facts and data, my friends, with just one quick piece of analysis and opinion. So this fight in Michigan, it's important because keeping homes and factories powered 24-7 is obviously important. So on one hand, we might celebrate this news. But on the other hand, I think it's pretty alarming. And that's because there are some serious environmental groups out there who are trying to shut these things down, even though... They know that if a state operates only on solar and wind power, it's just not going to be enough. 
And that means that they know that factories might shut down or homes are going to go dark. And these leftist environmental groups just don't care. That is why so many folks call the modern environmental movement a death cult, with some environmentalists actually embracing actual death. It's called the extinctionist movement, which calls for, quote, the gradual voluntary extinction of all humankind, end quote. In other words, my friends, these folks are not really worried about the carbon dioxide emissions into the air. They're worried about you. You are the carbon that they want to eliminate. So that's why we are going to keep talking about this, because it is not just about Michigan, ladies and gentlemen. It's about all of us. With that, let's take our first break of the morning. For subscribers listening at rightreport.substack.com, thank you. It is you and your financial support that are keeping this podcast alive. Meanwhile, for my other loyal listeners, I thank you as well. And I encourage you to do your part this morning and support the companies that support me. You will hear about them shortly. We'll be right back. Well, folks, by now, you know that some listeners like to call me the angel of death because apparently I deliver such bad news on this podcast. Well, if that's you and this podcast keeps you up at night, well, calm yourselves right back down and do so with a comfy bed from Ghostbed. <laughs> yep, it's a company that I think makes the finest mattresses in all of America. And y'all know that is true because I own one. I have the Lux model. That one is designed to help people like me who sleep a little bit hot. But they've got other great models too. There's the classic. Uh, there is the massage bed. That sounds fun. Plus, there's one called 3D Matrix. That sounds scary, but I still want one. Doesn't matter. Whatever model you choose from Ghostbed, just do it. These mattresses are built with high-quality materials, fine craftsmanship, and when you get into that ghost bed, you feel both of those things. And great news, you can get one of these mattresses delivered right to your doorstep. And if that makes you a little bit nervous, you know, to buy a bed without lying in it first, well, I get it. But Ghostbed has already solved that problem. They have a 101-day trial period plus free shipping and returns. So, folks, if Brian, the angel of death, scares you during the day, let Ghostbed protect you at night with a great night's sleep. And here's the best part. Get 50% off when you do. Go to ghostbed.com slash right. That's W-R-I-G-H-T. And 50% off your Ghostbed purchase will be given to you, my friends. But you got to use that website, ghostbed.com slash right. Oh, boy, but when you do, you are going to get that good night's sleep that you deserve. I guarantee it. Welcome back to The Right Report. Let's continue with our news this morning with a pivot towards international developments. Well, Europe is very afraid this morning of one man, but it is not Vladimir Putin and it is not President Xi of China. It is Donald Trump. But here's the big shocker. This fear is leading the European continent to find ways to impress him. Well, here's that story. The Wall Street Journal is reporting this morning that major European powers are getting ready for what they view to be a likely second Trump term. And they are quietly acknowledging that Mr. Trump was correct when he said that NATO partners in Europe were not contributing as much as they should to their military defense budgets. Instead, they have long relied on the Americans to protect them. In fact, as a Polish president, Mr. Duda said recently, quote, Europeans want the American taxpayer to pay for their safety. If I were America's president, I would have raised this same argument too, end quote. 
Meanwhile, Europe's leaders this morning are also acknowledging that Trump was probably right when he said that they were too reliant on Russia for their energy. You may recall that back when Trump was president, he tried to convince them to switch gears and switch to other suppliers of things like natural gas and diesel. But the Europeans dismissed his comments as being overwrought or fear-mongering. But no longer. When Russia invaded Ukraine, the natural gas spigots from Moscow were turned all the way down or blown up. And so they know that ignoring Trump's counsel has made him a little bit cranky at the European powers. To the point, his campaign website calls for, quote, fundamentally reevaluating NATO's purpose and NATO's mission, end quote. Well, on the campaign trail, he said much of the same, quote, we are paying for NATO and we don't get so much out of it. Plus, if we ever needed their help, let's say we were attacked, I don't believe Europe would be there for us, end quote. And that is why European powers are a little bit anxious this morning, at least according to the Wall Street Journal, because if they don't have America and our military, they don't have any protection. So European powers are redoubling their efforts this morning to prove to Mr. Trump, well, they're they're trying to win back his favor. They're working hard, they say, to rebuild their factories, to build out the artillery shells and bullets and other war material that they desperately need. Plus, they say they're working hard to increase their overall defense budgets. They're also trying some good old-fashioned flattery. The Dutch prime minister recently told Bloomberg TV that Trump was, quote, completely right in forcing us to live up to the 2% NATO budget commitment, end quote. Well, as the journal notes, they are now trying to do as much as they can right now to help soften the blow for when they eventually probably meet with this newly elected Mr. Trump next November. So those are the quick facts and data out of Europe this morning. Let me offer you my quick analysis and opinion. Years ago, a very colorful president named Teddy Roosevelt described his foreign policy as speaking softly but carrying a big stick. In other words, he believed that you should seek out diplomacy and negotiations by speaking softly. But all the while, your friends and your foes, they all know that there is a powerful military and economic weapon sitting right behind you. And you will use that stick as necessary. No bluffing. And that kind of policy, based on a mix of uh, love and fear, ladies and gentlemen, that creates power. It creates control. And it creates deterrence. And that's good leadership. And Roosevelt understood that. Well, now we have Donald Trump, a man who doesn't, uh, well, exactly speak softly. Although, to be fair, he has tried to use diplomacy and negotiations with, say, the North Koreans or through that Abraham peace accord process. But the point is, we all know that Mr. Trump is uh, not a wallflower. In this case, though, his blunt talk, his use of fear, like promising to toss NATO in the trash, It scares the living bejeebies out of the Europeans because they know that he ain't messing around. They also know the truth. And they know, and we know, that they have treated America as a bunch of suckers for decades. Now, they're in sort of a panic, trying to smooth things over before it gets real bad starting next November. If I could use an analogy, it's kind of like if you have a crazy uncle, and he was babysitting for the weekend, and he lets you trash the house and have parties, And then dad, the Donald, called and said, hey, I'm coming home early. And you're like, oh, no. And you start trying to clean up the house as fast as you can. And then you you go buy him a new fishing pole and a gift card to Bass Pro Shop. 
because you're just trying to smooth everything over because you know it's going to be nasty if you don't. Well, that is Europe right now, ladies and gentlemen. They know that they're in the wrong and they fear what dad is going to do if he comes home and the house isn't exactly tidy next November. So here's the point. Good leadership is sometimes based on fear, and that is especially true in foreign affairs. So that is why whoever wins next November would be very wise to channel the president, Teddy Roosevelt, and I think maybe a a dash of the Donald. (laughs) Fourth and finally this morning, we've got another challenge for the next president of the United States, and it is the president of Mexico. A new investigative report from the folks at ProPublica, Inside Crime, and other media outlets showed that the current leader of Mexico, a guy named Mr. Andres Manuel López Obrador, or AMLO as he is also known, he allegedly accepted a bunch of cash from Mexican cartels. In exchange, he agreed to let them operate with mostly a free hand in his country, from selling drugs to extorting businesses to trafficking illegal migrants across the U.S. border. So here's what we know this morning, and as I share with you these details, I want you to imagine that you are the president this morning sitting in the Oval Office, and you're thinking about how this is going to change what you do with Mexico, and you're wondering to yourself, what are your options? So keeping that in mind, let's talk details. And let's start by going back in time just a touch. Back in the year 2006, Mr. AMLO first ran for the Mexican presidency, and he did so against a guy named Felipe Calderon. During that campaign, several of his staffers, of AMLO's staffers, set up a deal to take $2 million in cash from a branch of the Sinaloa cartel. It was a secret alliance with a drug trafficker uh, who is known as La Barbie, because apparently he was quite pretty. And no, I'm not joking. That's his actual nickname. Well, in exchange for hanging out and taking cash from La Barbie, AMLO agreed to do a couple of things. For instance, he promised to only hire cartel-backed police chiefs who worked along the U.S. border. He also promised not to hire an attorney general who would ever go after cartel operations. La Barbie thought that was a great idea. Now, to be clear, AMLO staffers said that he was fully aware of this deal, but as standard practice, Mr. AMLO never would get directly involved in this dirty business. He let the staff members handle the particulars because that would give him plausible deniability. Well, when those election results back in 2006 came in, it was bad news for Mr. AMLO. He came up just a little bit short of the other guy, Felipe Calderon. Mr. Barbie, he was not happy about that electoral outcome. He and his amigos tried to kill the chief of the Electoral Commission. But eventually... The cartel dudes, they accepted the result. But maybe that was because another faction of the Sinaloa cartel had paid off that other guy, Felipe Calderon, as well. At least that's the allegation. Well, anyway, after this election back in 2006, the U.S. government started to get wind of these various shenanigans regarding Mr. AMLO. The U.S. Department of Justice, the DEA, and other government agencies started to put together this story starting in around 2007 or 9, give or take. Well, it took them a while to sort through all of this, and if you want the details, read the report, because it's a ton of fun to go through. Clandestine meetings at some beach resorts, there were secret flights involving DEA operators, and there was a really fun guy named Nico, because, hey, every cartel story needs a guy named Nico. Anyway, 
The DOJ eventually charged some of the players that were involved in all these shenanigans, but not the big fish, not Mr. AMLO. And they didn't do it because of two reasons. First, they struggled to get all the evidence that they needed. There was some apparently bad tape recording and uh, some witnesses who disappeared. But second, they also feared that if they took their shot at AMLO and they missed, and he eventually would go on to win the presidency someday and, and run again, well, at that point, he wouldn't cooperate at all with the United States on some really important issues like the drug war or on things like illegal migration. So U.S. prosecutors dropped the whole thing. Well, then Mr. AMLO did run again for the presidency and he won. And he won in no small part because he promised his country a new direction in terms of tackling the cartels and their violence. He promised to give out hugs, not bullets. It was a campaign slogan that basically proposed this. To stop the cartels and their violence, Mexico has to get to the root causes of why young people join cartels in the first place, like poverty or hopelessness. And that is why, during AMLO's presidency, he has largely avoided going after the cartels. In fact, he has canceled many of the programs that were established between Mexico and the U.S. to find, arrest, and prosecute cartel members. But so far, that idea or plan has not worked out very well. His hugs, not bullets strategy has actually resulted in record amounts of violence in Mexico and record illegal migration. Well, for years, AMLO has faced criticism for this policy, and people just thought he was embracing it because he was a radical leftist who was just trying silly ideas to solve problems like hugging cartel members. But this morning, the folks at ProPublica, Inside Crime, and other news outlets are offering us a different explanation. Perhaps it is that Mr. AMLO is compromised. Maybe he is letting the cartels have their way for a few million bucks, give or take. For what it's worth, President AMLO has blasted this report. He says it's nothing but a bunch of lies. It's malicious, completely false, and, quote, there's no proof, end quote. So those are the latest facts and data this morning about the latest on Mexico's leadership and this allegation of him cooperating with the cartels. So let me offer you my analysis and opinion. And again, let's do this imagining that you were the president in the Oval Office this morning trying to figure out what to do next with this mess that is Mexico. Well, let me do this. Let me start with this fact, I think. It's the most obvious. Mexico is a narco state. And that means that every branch of the Mexican government at the local, state, and federal level has been infiltrated and is effectively run by the bad guys. So that means that there are virtually no good guys to work with. Now, to be fair, there are probably some. The Mexican Navy has some pretty good guys inside of it. And I'm sure if you asked, the DEA or the NSA or CIA could probably find a few more good ones run around down there in Mexico. But the point is that just under this veneer of a functional Mexican society is a hellscape that is overrun by the cartels. And they operate, ladies and gentlemen, both on and over the U.S. border. As many of us know, they cooperate with China to poison us with various drugs. They also traffic upwards of 10,000 illegals a day. So knowing that, and assuming you are in the Oval Office this morning, I would argue that these facts mean that you have three options. The first is what most American uh, presidents do. They think that they can fix Mexico on the cheap or manage it somehow. 
So for instance, maybe we set up some partnerships with them to do some operations. Never mind that those operations, whether that be on drugs or otherwise, are compromised by the cartels from day one. Okay, well, maybe then we, we give them some foreign aid and they agree to, say, lower the volume of drugs that come over the border, or maybe the aid it convinces them to lower the volume of illegals who are crossing the border to, I don't know, say 5,000 a day, somewhere around there. So that's the first option, managing it on the cheap. The second option is you treat Mexico like a failed narco state, which it is. That means that you understand that you can't fix this country anytime soon. There are no partnerships possible to fix it. So you instead do what is in your power to control. You declare martial law on the counties along the U.S. border with Mexico. You send in the troops and you gain operational control of that lawless region. And then you step back and you let Mexico descend into a, a scene out of a Mad Max movie, but with really good tacos. Okay, so that's option number two. You step back and you just let her rip. Or third, you go full intervention. You use counterinsurgency operations to slowly take Mexican territory away from the cartels and reestablish law and order. And you do this with the U.S. military and the U.S. military alone, one city and one state at a time, probably starting in the north and you work south. As you would do this, it would require some partnership of Mexican nationals that you would vet to serve as your mayors and governors along the way. But the point is, you would do this until you probably reached uh, Guatemala and Belize. So, yes, what I'm saying is you would nation build until such a time that good Mexicans could rebuild their own nation. Well, critics of this path would probably say, "Mm, Brian, that sounds a lot like invasion or war. And fair enough. Probably reminds my historians of shades of the Mexican-American War back in 1846. But here's the bottom line. There are no good or easy options left. Mexico is a narco state. And that is true whether that be the presidents or the cartels themselves all working together to run that joint. And the point that most folks, I think, would wrestle with this morning if they were in the White House is a very painful fact. Those two groups of people, the leaders and the cartels, they are facilitating the invasion of this country, either by illegal migrants or Chinese fentanyl or other drugs. And again, that is not going to change because the cartels and the politicians in Mexico aren't going to change either. Uh, No hugs is going to solve this problem. Only bullets will. So there you have it. The three options to once again uh, recap uh, would be business as usual, manage it on the cheap. Second, uh, well, you build a moat with some crocodiles along the border and you declare martial law and you pull back. Or third, you go full counterinsurgency operations under the concept of clear, hold, and build. So which one of those is best? Which one would you choose? Well, tell me. And tell me why. As ever, log on to writereport.substack.com and leave me those comments. You'll find them at the bottom of each day's post or in a chat. And with that, ladies and gentlemen, we conclude this morning's episode of The Right Report. In the interest of time, we are going to hold off on a listener question today. But as always, I will see you tomorrow, God willing. Until then, I leave you with the creed of every good spy and every wise American. 
They're the words from the Gospel of John, chapter 8, verse 32. And you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Good day.